Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello, everyone. Here we are once again. It's me, Elliot, joined by Keith. Howdy, alien lovers. How are we this doing is today? It. They were, they were do- I think, I mean, if they're doing anything like me, everyone's doing just fine. Yeah, we're back. We're better than ever. Now, when you said, but you did say movie lovers, and I was actually just thinking about that. Do you think anyone who listens to this podcast is actually a movie lover, or they stumbled upon us because they thought this was about, like, waste disposal? I said alien lovers, but... Oh, that's true. You did say... You normally say movie lovers. The point stands. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, they're like, oh, the trash heap. Oh, this must be about uh, uh, the environmental impact of garbage. So what an interesting podcast. And then they put this on, and they're like, ugh. Yeah. City infrastructure, waste mm-hmm. disposal, waste management, recycling, the important issues in our world. Not fucking slimed up space creatures. Hell nah. Which do not matter until the said space creatures land on Earth. But uh, if we are garnering an audience of, you know, garbage men and people who work with uh, sewer water and uh, or just garbage methane is... gas and things yeah. like that, uh, welcome. And yeah, or... we hope you enjoy the show. Maybe not even people who work with them, but people who are just, you know, enthusiasts or yeah, interested yeah, in garbage. Yeah, methane gas enthusiasts and uh, uh, landfill enthusiasts. Garbage connoisseurs, yeah. you know. Uh, inhabitants of garbage islands. Have you seen this phenomenon? Have you heard of this? Garbage islands? Like garbage you're islands? About, you're talking about like when all the trash just collects in the ocean and floats around in a floating atoll? Yeah, what a fascinating phenomenon. It's as if waste is attracted to waste. In the, like it in all this, comes back to the source? Yeah. In the same way that, you know, magnets and, and metal work or salt and liquid. Yeah. Mm. This is now a science podcast ba- based on a loosely connected stream of consciousness from things I can remember learning in middle school. So science, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Speculative science. Anyway, we're not here for that. You know what today is, Keith? It's your birthday. Incorrect. No. Today is the final installment of The Egg Chronicles. You know what I just realized? It is Hmm. the final installment of The Egg Chronicles, and we're just a little... a little under a week away from Alien Day. Oh, are we now? Yeah, there we go. What, what? in fact, uh, by the time this drops, uh, we'll actually be just a couple of days away. Well, isn't that serendipitous? Because that was certainly not planned in the slightest. It, well, it was uh, loosely planned. I realized it kind of early on when we started doing this series. I was like, uh-huh. oh, hey, like we're going to finish this up uh, pretty close to Alien Day. So that's pretty sweet, which is actually James Cameron's birthday. Oh, well, there we go. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I- what what if it was? What if he was like <laughs> April twenty sixth is my birthday? Oh, and here's and he's sharing images from his birth, and, he, and it shows his mom holding him in one arm, and then a giant alien egg in the other. Honestly, like <laughs> as you point, like immediately after you pointed out, 
like, oh, it's Alien Day. What started the the internal monologue I started having with myself was, man, it's weird that there's an Alien Day, and not like aliens, like you know, just the general concept of aliens, but like for these movies, because I know there's like Star Wars Day or May Fourth or whatever and stuff, and there's this movie obviously has tons of fans, but this seems a little odd that there's like an official Alien Day. But then as soon as you said James Cameron's birthday, I'm like, oh well, of course that egomaniac would turn his birthday into. Uh, this national, like, semi-recognized thing. No, apparently there is a cap to his his massive ego, and this was created by fans who are pretty excited to celebrate an alien scourge and menace. You know, an organism that would n- no sooner look at them than, you know, tear their, their face off. Uh, but, you know, that's just the kind of world we live in. Where an alien cockroach is celebrated, but not uh, mailman and garbage men and the blue collar workers that are the backbone of this country. What this or, podcast and people is don't really remember about. World War Two or flags or the you know the things that make us go uh, shed a tear. What? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this aliens is are pretty cool. They're pretty cool, and this is it. This is the final installment. This is Keith. This is a. We've been talking about doing this pointless alien retrospective for a long time, probably since we started doing the podcast and yeah. even before Alien Covenant had even come out. It was the probably the first time, oh, you want to do a podcast and we're going to talk about all the Aliens movies and then we'll talk about Predators and RoboCop and Terminator and uh, maybe do Batman later. Yeah, pretty much. So, like, like a bunch of five-year-olds would. It's like, <laughs> exactly. a fi- like if a child had an idea for a podcast. That's what we've that's... got here. We've reached the end of the trail as far as alien movies are concerned. Almost. Almost. I mean, the, the, the core series is done. Ripley's story is done. The Xenomorph origins are done. So now there's nowhere to go besides insane crossovers and blatant low budget ripoffs. Mm-hmm. That's true, and um, it's. I'm excited to talk about these. I'm also, you know, like as I am kind of happy that the A Chronicles are coming to an end because I feel like we've covered a lot of ground, and it's time to put it to rest and move on to other things. But I'm excited for this final episode. Um, I was going to have a bowl of cereal for breakfast today, but I said no. I've eaten egg sandwiches every day that we've done. An Egg Chronicles episode, I ate, and had one bagel left, a couple eggs, made up an egg sandwich. Um, I will say it is growing inside me like some sort of implanted alien. So at some moment, I might have to leave abruptly because I can feel that it's doing stuff. So, so what you're yeah. saying is you're going to shit out sections of a tapeworm. Yes. I mean, I'm saying like Excellent. there's no chest bursters here, but more like a butt burster that might be Ugh. coming. So if I know that's pretty gross. I, you, regret, I regret saying it already. Yeah. You mentioned uh, uh, cereal. See that would it, you could do it if there is a cereal called Zenos. Oh, that's that would be a good point. Actually, yeah. this this was like Francis makes homemade cereal. So yeah, it was. Uh, well, I guess it could it could be called Zenos because it doesn't have a name. There's no brand name. It's Zenos. Yeah, tell her to uh, whip some of that up, and I'll create some packaging, and then we'll uh, we'll go get rich quick. Perfect. I'm into this. It's one of those schemes I heard about growing up, and now <laughs> I can finally be part of one. That's exciting. Ooh, that is exciting. That's very exciting. But not as exciting as a little movie called Alien vs. Predator, another one called Alien vs. Predator Requiem, and then a bunch of other weird movies with funny names like Inseminoid and Galaxy of Terror and... uh, Creature. Creature. Mutant. Yeah. 
Das Grauen im All. What? I think that's German for the terror inside or something like that. Because whenever one of the the biggest alien ripoffs is called Forbidden World, but there's a German trailer for it. Oh, yeah. And the alternate title is Mutant, and it's just this German guy screaming, Mutant, das Grauen im All. I've seen that trailer, and it's phenomenal. It's It's tremendous, yeah. It really, really does it justice. But, uh, yeah, kind of the most famous uh, offshoots and uh, extension of the Alien universe is the Alien vs. Predator films, which Mm -hmm. were obviously inspired by the uh, hit comic books of the, uh, I believe, late 80s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dark Horse Comics uh, were the first to really bring that crossover to life, incorporating, you know, story elements of the Predator with the brother of uh, Dutch Schaefer from Predator, and then uh, I'm assuming the cousin of the Xenomorph from Aliens. The cousin and then of the, the, uh, the co-worker uh, or peer of the original Predator. So have you, so you've read these comics? Uh, yeah, definitely. I've dabbled in, in some of them. Now, there, there's one sort of core story that brought the aliens and the, the Predators together and all that, but then there's been tons of additional miniseries kind of fleshing out the world and fleshing out the the story, but it all started with the concept of uh, the aliens are sort of a, 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 a prize game for mm. the Predators. Yeah, I've never I never read any of the of the Alien versus Predator comics. Um I honestly was never that too interested in in them either. Like, I've never loved by and large I've never been a big fan of crossovers in the comic book world. You know, it, uh, but there are exceptions, I guess. Yeah, and I mean that really went on to it, it's crazy how that that original notion of aliens versus predator just like exploded and then it became batman versus aliens batman versus right. predator green lantern versus aliens that, and just and those, like all kinds of wild stuff and that was the thing i think the reason why i didn't like him is they always just seemed so obviously for like a cash grab type of thing where it's like yeah. uh like oh batman's fighting the xenomorphs i gotta buy that you know well, and th- th- that's the thing is too. When you get older, you sort of recognize the the business mm-hmm. nature of it. But when you're a kid, it's like it's like you have all the toys, and you you get to finally make them fight. I see, and I hated that too. Like you know how you remember the Batman action figures are like Batman in his special like lava costume, <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't know. I think I even at a young age, I was pretty in tune to this. I'm like, they're just trying to sell me more toys. Wow, you know. Um, except when it comes to Ninja Turtles, I would buy whatever Ninja Turtle didn't matter. Yeah, that was, was a sucker high, for all those. That was a high quality action figure. I remember one of the sort of secondary gimmick characters was a giraffe, and he had a. Uh, he, for some reason, he had like a, a Tommy gun and a basketball, mm-hmm. and then also well, yeah. a basketball hoop like jammed over his head. And then that makes could perfect ex- sense. You could extend his neck. Yeah, I mean, he was a mutant. The assess the accessories that came with the Ninja Turtle action figures were phenomenal. They they were there was just so many of them, and you really felt like you were getting your money's worth. That four ninety five per figure really paid off. Yeah, you would get at least five or six choking hazards yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, in, in addition to the the action figure, it's pretty great. Well, Heath, I hate to already be interrupting, but I feel like that egg sandwich is doing its work. So I got to take a quick break here. <laughs> Hell <laughs> Sorry. yeah! Sorry, guys, I'll be back. Don't record any of this. You got it. Yeah, like much like Ninja Turtles, Alien vs Predator also got the the toy treatment even before it became a movie, and mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that kind of helped stir the fans up. And, yeah. and that's really what, you know, turned alien versus predator into a movie. And that's why it took so long just because it was such a fan fan notion for so long. And, you know, movie studios just didn't see, see the potential profits or the marketability of it. And which is, they, they sort of became their own, uh, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy because I don't think the movies did particularly well. Uh-huh. Well, it is funny too, because like you said, like how this studio doesn't see, didn't see the potential initially or whatever, because it, the whole idea does reek of just like people in business suits being like, uh, what should we do to make money? You know, it's like, I know we'll take these two things that people love and cram them together. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it like, I remember like I said, never being too fond of like crossovers in general. I'm not going to say I don't have exceptions, but just as a rule of thumb, I'm never like too keen on the idea. Uh, and I remember when like this movie was announced or trailer, or whatever, I was just like, uh, thinking like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. I hate this idea. It's just pointless. Why? You know? And my opinion has change somewhat over the years in in what way well i'll say when when the alien versus predator came out i didn't see it in the theater or anything but i did watch it eventually and i was like oh this is much this isn't necessarily good but much better than i thought and from a strictly uh premise you know plot 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 wise i don't think you could have I don't want to say I don't think. I'm like, this is one of the best plots you could hope for in trying to combine these two franchises, I think. It's an or, it's a very organic feeling of the way they combine the, the two series rather than them just being like really gratuitously crammed together. That's funny because I completely disagree. I think this really? is the, the worst type of fan service from someone who is like, Oh, it's me, Paul W.S. Anderson. I'm one of you. I love aliens. I love Predator. I love video games and comics. I'm just like you. So I'm going to make a fan service movie where all of my characters, uh, they say the lines from other characters from the different movies that you like. And then I'm also going to make the setting uh, like other movies that you like like i'm going to incorporate the thing and i'm going to incorporate this and that and it's going to be uh just a, a parade of references for all you genre fans and won't that be fun and i agree it's with a you. colossal piece of shit i <laughs> i completely agree with you on those points but to me that's that's more in terms of execution rather than just the plot on paper you know the plot on paper i think is much better than I would have anticipated the the setup for the story to be. I mean, is it because you're you're such a uh, fan of early civilization 
So the the time in the world when Antarctica was actually a an island paradise and a tropical climate, like you're uh, nostalgic for that time on Earth. Well, Is you that, know how I love a good tropical paradise. Yeah, you know, an archipelago. You're you're you know, an archipelago enthusiast. You know me. I like I like sandy beaches, I like tropical breezes, mai tais, active mai tais. volcanoes. I mean, I mean, I've been to Hawaii twice. If that doesn't tell you, poison anything, frogs. You know. Oh God, I love poison frogs. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I agree with you on all those aspects. Like the execution is is by and large pretty stupid. Uh, like yeah, all the fan service stuff is terrible. But just conceptually, I think when you go into something as like this, where you're combining two completely separate franchises and trying to find a way to logically put them together, I think it succeeded on the, on that front more than I would have anticipated. Which, why don't we give people a little bit of rundown of what the plot yeah, what of the hell is Alien vs. Predator about? Right, you know, so... If that title isn't, doesn't give it away, <laughs> let's, well, <laughs> let's dive a little deeper. Well, no, we, I mean, we, we know that they're going to fight. That's all we, that's all we know. We right. know that, uh, that they're going to fight, but how do we get well, there? Well, What's, what you don't know is that humans are going to get caught in the middle. And uh, what what are they gonna do to get out of it? Because here comes a giant bug, and here comes a, a steroided up uh, alien hunter, and oh mm-hmm. man, are our conventional weapons and our human intellect enough to match wits with two intergalactic uh, blah blah blahs at the top of the blah blah blah? And the answer is no. We're not, our <laughs> intellects are not <laughs> I are not are not set up for that. I hate this I, movie. I was so excited when it came out, and I just was. Fucking, you see, okay. I was I was disappointed. Well, yeah, because I like uh, I like oh man, it's, they're finally gonna do the thing that we never thought they'd do, and so right. And oh, the guy who made uh, uh, Event Horizon and Resident Evil, or maybe Resident Evil hadn't come out yet. I can't remember. No, that. it had. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I think Paul W. Anderson is a hack. I think he's one of the worst directors working today i was never into event horizon resident evils i think is fucking garbage uh and like even listening to him talk i've listened to interviews talk about this movie and it's like you just like don't get it at all you don't get anything about movies or well that's the thing though like he is one of us but he it just so happens that he got to make movies and no serious director would do this right Right, like a real filmmaker would not do. Although he did, you know, he did a pretty good job with Mortal Kombat. Like as good as you can get for sure that material. So this is not like unfamiliar territory for him, but uh, yeah, n- nobody else would do do something like this. You know, I, totally. And I mean, like you said, no serious filmmaker. But that doesn't mean a filmmaker can't inject more charm into something. You know, like it's true. This is just like literally like someone who doesn't understand in the slightest why something is cool, you know. Like uh, I, I think by comparison, like if you look at say uh, uh, Ronnie Yu coming into direct Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. at least they were like, let's get someone with a complete like outside perspective. Right. They're they're not going to be so uh, inside the material that it's going to give them a bias or whatever. They're like, Ronnie, you's just going to come in and just make the movie that is written on the fucking screenplay. Yeah. Versus being like, oh, I'm a fan or I'm this or that. Like, 
I even saw an interview with uh, Paul W. Sanderson talking about it, like during the production or whatever. And he's he's like doing behind the scenes and showing him props and stuff. And he goes, he's talking about the Predators. And he was like, well, the original Predator gauntlet claws were eight inches, but I made the ones on our Predators sixteen. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's like three feet long and like you know flips inside out and like all these stupid gimmick shit. Yeah, he's yeah, like one hundred percent overthought it. And it's like, if you think that that's why the Predator is cool or intimidating, it's just like, it's like, you know how you know how you make a knife cooler? You make it bigger. You know, it's like, come yeah. on. If, yeah. if you look at the film that John McTiernan made, there is literally no evidence of that. And even by design, uh, the, the Stan Winston creature design, like if you break that down, there's nothing about it that's like, oh, if we make the dreadlocks longer... And the weapon's bigger, uh, and the invisibility cloaking, you know, has a jetpack this time or some shit. Then it's going to be way cooler. Like right, no. and that's the thing. It's like you take you take a, like possibly one of the best designed science fiction horror action characters of all time, and you go like, you know, this is cool, but if we put more spikes on its face, it would be even yeah. More let's badass. overthink it and overdesign it. Yeah. But okay, so the setup of this movie is uh, a, not even a ragtag group, but a a sort of uh, high level, uh, handpicked uh, roster of scientists and bookworms and nerds and mercenaries are headed to Antarctica to a mysterious temple uh, to see if there's some alien shit inside. Right. Well, they're not even. Are they even going to see if there's alien shit inside, or are they just going to see? They've they found like what like is it some like X-ray scan of our Antarctica, and they found a pyramid, and they're like, oh, it's just. A, I think aren't they just like thinking for a lost civilization? Not even necessarily aliens. They're not even thinking of that until they get there. Yeah, I mean, I it really is like uh, uh, Charles Charles Wayland, uh, who you may remember from Alien Three, uh, even though that's like. Hundreds uh, of years in the future. Maybe thousands, yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow he's alive here in the early 2000s or whatever it was, and his people detect some kind of like geothermal energy spike, and he's like, oh, look at all that energy I could make money off of. I'm going to go get uh, go get a bunch of randos uh, who are the, the best they are at what they do and uh, go down there and see if I can make money off of it and also maybe cure my cancer. Or leukemia or whatever he's Whatever got. he has, yeah. yeah or he, is he trying to cure or is he just trying to, like, leave his mark before he, he goes out? You know, like his, his grand discovery before he dies. Uh, it's dubious. But he does yeah. do a lot of coughing and sort of limping around. Yes. Um, and then when they get there, they find hibernating xenomorphs in there. And then the predators show up. And what we deduce or learn in the movie is that the predators built this pyramid on Earth as like the hunting ground for uh, xenomorphs and their best hunters would go there to hunt xenomorphs as like a rite of passage. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the, all the rookie predators have to go and kill some aliens before they get treated with any kind of respect. They've got an alien queen uh, down in the fridge uh, on ice uh, that mm-hmm. they just, they fire her back up and get her to poop out some eggs anytime they're, they need some uh, anytime they're in town. Yeah, and they get uh, they tricked the locals, uh, Mayans or who whomever, into 
turning the ceremony into like a sacrifice. So they'll, they, you know, if they need volunteers to uh, get some face huggers attached. Right. Uh, so they worship them like gods, kind of like the engineers from yeah. Prometheus. Yeah, like, I saw some video on YouTube that was like, is Alien versus Predator or is uh, Prometheus a remake of Alien versus Predator? And I just laughed at it and then watched it out of morbid curiosity. And there are more parallels than not. I mean, that's in the two movies. It's pretty wild. That's what I was thinking when I watched, because I rewatched Alien vs. Predator for this, and I hadn't seen the movie in quite some time. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> really, Scott definitely watched this before he made Prometheus. Yeah. Which is was... funny because of how much shit he had talked on just the concept of it before, which, I mean, I'm not going to. Or, or. Maybe it was your man Damon Lindelhoff. Uh, just oh my god! Just borrowed a bunch of shit uh, from you know previous stories. That's probably more likely because Ridley Scott probably never even watched Alien vs Predator. No, no. Um, uh, James Cameron did though, and he said that it's his third favorite in the franchise. Well, I don't know, man. I don't know what yeah. that means. It's very confusing. He's a he's a kind of an oddball guy. He I mean, really it's, is. It's weird to to look at him and be like, oh, he made uh, Aliens and uh, Terminator Two, but then he also made uh, Titanic, right? And so like, and then also like Avatar, and just half the time I'm just like scratching my head at this guy. He has a he, and he hasn't made honestly what is like six seven movies, so not a huge filmography, but it is kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, True Lies kind of even also doesn't make sense somehow no. to me. Well, no, it doesn't at all. In fact, actually, like his first handful of movies are all like kind of in the same, you know, his first three movies are like, oh, okay, I can kind of see where these connect. And then True Lies comes out and then it's just like anything goes after that. Yeah, it's very weird. But um <sighs> But okay, here's my. Well, point. I mean, we're we're heaping a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of blame on Paul W. Sanderson for making this movie. But you know, at the end of the day, he went out and made the the best movie that he thought he could, and uh, even if it didn't quite work out. But um, well, no, I mean, I think that's that's my point. Is like, I don't think he's a great director by any means i think he's pretty bad out of the movies of his that i've seen i think this is the my favorite and the like i said the plot on paper works like if you took i know we've i've said this a lot in this show but it's like oh this movie might work better if it wasn't an alien movie if it wasn't a xenomorph movie if this movie had the exact same plot but it was not xenomorphs and it wasn't predators it was two other alien species this would be a really cool fun b movie you know yeah what if it was um how about it's my stepmother is an alien versus critters? Yeah, that could be something. Or is I meant that more, too obscure. I meant more like if they were just like uh, they weren't pre-existing properties. It was just a new, a new, uh, a new original movie with a new original different species of aliens. Oh, that'd be really tough. I mean, not really. Like they go and they go and they go to Antarctica. They find this pyramid under the ice. They wake up some weird uh, animalistic type bug monsters then some other humanoid aliens show up 
and they figure out what's going on. That's literally what happens in the movie. Oh my we god! Ju- what? What? Literally, uh, Critters is the same movie. You're right. It You've is. got the alien bounty hunters hunting the Krites, and then they land on Earth in small town Kansas, and the the fucking townies are caught in the middle. Yeah, and it's they're they're pretty looking, similar. It's the same goddamn thing. That's crazy. Shout out to Critters One and Two for being some of the best movies of all time. There we go. Critters Two, especially man. If you've never seen Critters Two, like I have, it has been throw, throw your phone in the ocean and go watch it right now. I have. It's been so long. In fact, actually, I hadn't seen any of the Critters movies. You know, I'd seen them when I was a little kid and I hadn't seen them in a while. And then I watched the first Critters again probably like three or four years ago. And there were scenes that I was like, wait a minute, where, what, what, this didn't happen. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's from Critters 2. And I was mixing the two up in my head from, you know, in memory. Oh, yeah. It's a great continuation, uh, Critters 2, of the first one where the, you know, the kid – his family has since moved away from the small town and he left for a while, but now he's back and everyone's Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, it's that kid. Did he make up the story about monsters or not? We're not sure. And then you got that sheriff who's retired and living in a trailer. He's like, I don't want to be the goddamn sheriff anymore. And the, the sheriff is actually Tommy Lee Jones's uncle from no country for old men. Oh, really? Oh my God. It's awesome. (laughs) He's so (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Which is not the sheriff from the first grade. See, we should have just called this episode Keith would like to talk about Critters 1 and 2. Because <laughs> <laughs> those movies are awesome. Anyways, it's UK, the same UK. plot. They ripped off the Critters movies and go. Well, UK, so you really hate this movie. Is there anything you like It just about it? looks like a super glossy fan film. And there's t- yeah. tons of just artifacts of the time, like the slow-mo, like camera movement like matrix style and oh yeah it's really dumb the movie being shot in like 30 frames a second and so the action looks kind of weird um and just the fight scenes are really boring and contrived i Um, agree with that something that i think alien versus predator requiem did a lot better despite being a piece of shit movie i think the fight scenes between the aliens and the predator were handled uh much better and then also you know the human characters are just sort of, you know, there. Uh, oh, they're dumb, and they have a lot of, like, stupid things. Like, like the main character, the, you know she's extreme because she's ice climbing, and then she answers her cell phone while she's climbing the mountain, you know? But she's also a super uptight know-it-all. Mm-hmm. And, and she seems really, like, condescending uh, to everybody and to, like doesn't want to be there, and there's just nothing likable. And even the guy who's, like... Uh, oh, I'm, you know, squeaky clean every man and I'm taking pictures for my kids and look at my, here's a photo of my two sons. You're going to care when I die. And you don't. No, none of the characters in this are are, are, are that likable at all. They're, they, they range from specifically unlikable to just kind of neutral. And I really don't like the, uh, what was it, like the archaeologist dude? He sucks too. Yeah. And I, I also, how he seems, he talks about everything when they're discovering this new alien civilization, he talks about everything as if he has pre-existing knowledge of it. When he's just like doing the math on, right? He's like, "Oh, this is Egyptian, and this is Mayan, and this is from yeah. this, and 
And uh, based on all of my knowledge of that, I can sort of figure out what's happening here. But he doesn't even say it as if it's conjecture or he's like, look at this thing. I, ju I just figured out how to read this, these hieroglyphs. This is what it says. He talks about it as if it's something that he like learned in, in college 20 years ago, you know, and it was like now informing everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's all they have to go on anyway. The only reason that everyone's listening to him is because nobody else knows any better. Yeah. Uh, the most likable character in this is probably the alien queen. Oh, yeah, definitely. She's uh, very personable and very likable and super relatable. I can't remember. I mean, I can remember the last time I was electrocuted uh, into uh, giving birth onto a conveyor belt. Yeah. I mean, that's something <laughs> we've, we've all done and can all, you know, uh, uh, sympathize with. Um, yeah, this movie's not great. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's stupid in conception. I do think it's kind of fun though. Based on what? I mean, your, your love of transforming temples. I think it's like, fun. Like, does this remind you of Legend of the Hidden Temple? That, that old kids game show? Yeah, it kind of does actually in, in several <laughs> ways. I'm not going to lie. And that, I hadn't thought about that before, but like, yeah, it kind of does. Like I said, I like the general setup. I think while the characters are unlikable, they have enough, uh, just like kind of like like you said of the times and a lot of that stuff of the times like you said like the bad slow mo and stuff is stuff that uh, I still don't like. There is stuff that came out though like character quirks or like character introductions that I thought were stupid when they were you know you know popular. But now I kind of look back and and see them as just kind of like goofy things I can laugh at, like answering a cell phone while hanging from an ice cliff and then getting to the top of the of the mountain while still talking on the cell phone and then the person you're talking to is up there saying like i couldn't wait to talk to you know just like really corny shit like that like i can yeah, have and fun pretending with. like you wouldn't see a helicopter like flying out in the middle of nowhere right or why this person just wouldn't wait 15 seconds for them to get to the top of the mountain or like they're definitely an earshot of you so you would have heard them on the phone and talking in real life at the same time and there would have been a delay yeah uh, Normally, those... I would defend a movie like this and be like, oh, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, it's all about this. But the stuff that I would say it's all about this is not uh, it's not very good. Like, just the, the, the reason the reason you're there is to watch everybody, you know, get into an, into a big scrap. And it's just not not very good or or entertaining. And then by the climax of the movie, um, you know, you get you get a very comic accurate uh piece of business where um because of the interaction between uh the main character and the predator uh, uh her and the predator team up and she's sort of uh deputized into the predator clan and they you know scar her face when she gets a kill and they make a spear out of uh you know uh, alien head and and tail and all that stuff which I guess if you're super into the comic, you might be like, oh, cool, it's the thing from the comic. But it was just, like, pretty silly when you see it in a movie. And then, yeah. you know, once they get to the surface, they're running around getting chased by a giant CGI queen that's running, like, 60 miles an hour. It, that part's really bad. Yeah, and then there's also that sort of uh, the light, the big spotlight behind uh, uh, the girl and the predator, and it's, like, Batman and Robin and it just looks like super hokey when it was trying to be stylish and cool and it just falls flat. It's just not. The only cool thing you really get is the final scene where uh, the predator gives birth to 
the Pred Alien Hybrid, which is a fun, like schlocky sequel setup kind of moment. Totally, but also makes no sense because at no point the, this we've watched this character the the whole time, the you know the predator who gets infected with the the baby uh, xenomorph, and we've we've been with him the whole time. There's literally no time he could have been face hugged. I'm pretty sure there's a shot of the face hugger. On the on the Predator? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think that's true. Okay, well, let's watch the movie right now. I mean, I think, are you just talking about how the Predator's face in and of itself kind of looks like <laughs> a face hugger? It just looks like it always has a face hugger on. <laughs> it kind of does. So, I mean, I think, it just opens got, its mouth. I think you got kind of confused there, yeah. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there's, I, a, I don't sure know. there's I, a shot. I just watched it, and I, I'm not going to say I, I didn't, I never looked down at my phone or anything while I was watching it this time. But I don't recall that happening. Okay. Yeah, that's probably the best. Like, the, just that shot of the alien of the predators, like chest bumping up and green blood spurting out, and the xenomorph coming out is probably the single best thing in the movie. But also makes no logical sense. I mean, what what kind of logic are you trying to apply to it? How he got infected and when. I mean, I think it's as simple as. A face hugger missed a person and landed on the predator's face. Yeah, but I'm saying we've been with this character the entire time. There's no, there's no time he would have. There was no downtime for him to go get infected. I think there was. It's like if you and me, if we're in a room, right? Uh, a face hugger walked into the room. <laughs> you threw a book at it. The face hugger comes home from a long day at work and like take a, takes off its hat and and briefcase and. Like, oh, hey, fellas. Right. Just like that. You throw a book at it. The face hugger is dead. We go out, we get pizza. And then, like, an hour later, a xenomorph pops out of your chest. I was there the entire time. The face hugger never got on your face. I think I'm pretty sure you just missed it. I'm going to watch it again. Okay. uh, And I'll I'll let you know. I'll I'll look like an idiot if I was wrong. I'm not as big as an idiot as, like, guys, we we found out something today. And that's for the past year, I have been using my microphone backwards. I've been talking into it backwards, guys. Figured it out this morning. So there you go. So hopefully he sounds a lot better. I'll sound better than this movie for sure. I don't know. I think the sound design on this movie is pretty solid. I think there's there's nothing I can complain about the the sound. I think all the mics were pointed the correct direction. (laughs) (laughs) I think they did a great job. Okay, well... But yeah, it sucks. And even if you're like you're trying to, you know, get intoxicated or high on mushrooms and, and get some giggles out of it, I don't think there's really uh, too many. I was like, I, I watched it like sometime last year and was pretty annoyed by it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I like some pretty, pretty stupid pieces of shit. But uh, this one I just can't give a pass to just because like, like you were saying, it tries to be very stylish and cool and tries to do all these trendy gimmicky things and it just yeah. it looks dated and it looks like a fan film half the time and uh it's just no no good aliens look really dumb and weird and they do maybe everything's this is, cgi and it's can only put it this way if this movie was on if i was in a bar and this movie was on the te- television and the sound was off i would look up at it every other minute Instead of every five seconds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I think we're in agreement here. Uh, 
uh, Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we lose. We yes, d- we definitely lost. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that ta- I still th- that tagline's unbelievable because you're you're really like hedging your bet uh, on that one. Because if it if it tanks and or sucks, uh, you know, the the joke is never going away. No, and I mean, like I like I said, I do think it has a, a, enough B movie fun to like allow me to like like I said watch it or catch part of it here and there every now and then, but. Yeah, it's not great. But I like it a whole lot more than I like Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Okay, so the original Alien vs. Predator uh, came out in 2004. And uh, Requiem would follow just a few years later in 2007. Why do you think they called it Requiem? Uh, because that would just sound like in the names of movies from that period of time. They all had d- dumb names like that, colon, something word that most of the p- audience won't understand, but uh, it well, sounds it's cool. usually like rebirth or revengeance or... Uh, uh, it's because we're talking about death here, Keith. Ballistic or some some fucking bullshit. These, guys, these alien species are going to come here. They're going to kill people. There's going to be funerals eventually for them. That's why. Well, this is a sequel. Uh, and it actually picks up right after Alien vs. Predator. It picks up directly with the birth of the Pred alien. And oh that's kind God, of yeah. what the, the the main plot thread is. Is The Pred alien is here, and the Pred alien is the most dangerous organism uh, any world has ever known. Yep. Um, yeah, he looks halfway between a xenomorph and a predator. He's got the the predator dreadlocks and the weird mandibles, and uh, he sucks. Uh, hard disagree on that. I hate it. I, but but I, before we start arguing about the pred alien, I looked up the word requiem. So mm-hmm. if you don't know, a requiem is a mass for the repose of the souls of the dead. That's a Roman Catholic Church-oriented uh, phrase. Uh, example, a requiem was held for the dead queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be a musical composition setting parts of a... Blah, blah, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then the other applicable definition here is an act or token of remembrance. So is that... Is that uh focused at the fallen predators i think you're putting what we're, what we're to understand i think you're putting entirely too much thought into this i really I think, i've wondered this since the movie came out i guarantee you this is literally what happened was they're like well what sounds cool what sounds dark and creepy and like badass requiem that's it they had like a list of words Requiem, requiem, renegade, um, death zone, all these things on a on a on a whiteboard, and they just kept crossing them off until they decided on requiem. Hell that's yeah, what, that's what happened. A bunch of people in a room, or they showed it to a focus group and said, like, which word do you like the most? And some guy eating a Big Mac was like, uh, requiem. 
I wonder if it was James Cameron who like just like sent an email or something because <laughs> he made a like a short film back in like 1978 called Xenogenesis. Mm-hmm. Xenogenesis. So yeah. he's like the godfather of like these fucking insane names. Plus, he also he started it with um, a Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Start. How does that? How's that starting? Because right. I don't. There oh, weren't I mean, really. If we look back at like the history of sequels. Oh, you mean it, the colon and the, the subtitle? Yeah, yeah. I because see, a yeah, lot yeah. of sequels didn't have um, the subtitle, and if they did, it was it was not sort of those catchy, dramatic phrasings. It was just like nonsense, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, howling too. Your sister is a werewolf, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Gremlins Two: The New Batch, right? I mean, those it, are kind of. Yeah, I guess there's. It's there's, not as like. I see your point. Yes. Yeah, they're saying what it is, but there's no flair for drama, right? But now all of a sudden, after Judgment Day, it's like, oh, we need. It's got to be like, you know, religious or like ominous or something like that, but or extreme. Yeah, oh, extremely extreme. Um, but yeah, so Alien vs. Predator Requiem, uh, you get the fucking Pred alien pops out of the goddamn Predator as it as only it can and immediately goes on a rampage. Um, the Predators are trying to, they're on a Predator ship trying to uh, kill this thing. And they accidentally shoot a hole through their own ship because they're not used to fighting things on their own ships because they're hunters and they're badasses. And that's something they've never had to do before. Yeah. And so then the ship crash lands on Earth. The fucking uh, face huggers they had in captivity scuttle out into the forest. And then the fucking uh, pred alien scuttles off into the sewer. And uh, there's your setup. There's your movie. And it's very much a similar... It's sort of like you know, an alien predator, you know, opening scene if you just tossed it into a blender and then, you know, yeah. poured it out. And you get this movie too that's kind of like it's in small rural town America and uh finally the promise of aliens on Earth. Right. All these other movies uh you know were leading to and finally we're here. Well there was aliens on Earth in a the last one, Alien Yeah, Versus but Pride. not in a populated Yeah, area. they were in, yeah, in, in Antarctica. And it's kind of like this, it almost is like a slashery type, you know, It movie. is. Well, actually, That's honestly, one thing I appreciate about it is that you've got these parallel pro- plot threads. And that's something that I thought really worked about the original Predator was Dutch and his team are over here on one mission headed towards uh, this goal. And then over here, you've got the Predator uh just kind of hidden and unknown with its own agenda and then eventually you come to this apex where they it's unavoidable for them to you know uh kind of hit that flashpoint right and you get the same thing here where you've got all these goofy human characters with very real human problems getting out of jail coming back from serving military time being a washed up small town sheriff etc well, actually, and though, then the too, predators and the aliens have their own. I mean, the aliens are just sort of, you know, they're animals. They're they're just trying to uh, procreate, 
and uh, increase their numbers and whatever. So they face hug a kid. They face hug a dad. The the pred aliens start shitting out eggs all over the walls and the sewer and putting face huggers on homeless people as a prank, which is hilarious. And then we get the predator <laughs> gets the emergency call on the red phone right, back, yeah. back at the office and is like, whoa, looks like we got a problem. Grabs his fucking, I don't know, his his whip and his special party mask and uh, heads off to Earth to, uh, to, you know, clean up the mess, which I think is pretty cool. He's cleaning up the crime scenes, disposing of evidence, hunting down aliens. Uh, I, I think all those pieces of the movie are actually pretty interesting. Unfortunately, again, the human characters are, I don't know what they're doing. Actually, since you brought up the point earlier... This movie is actually even more critters than Alien vs. Predator. Oh yeah, so this is this is literally literally like every almost everything about it is the same, except and there and there's fun to be had, I think, in taking the Alien franchise, the Predator franchise, mixing them together and just making like a stupid, goofy slasher movie out of it. I think there's fun to be had there, except this movie doesn't have any of that. This movie, I hate this movie so much, and I also I've never been able to get all the way through it. I, I, I watched one time, like a long when it, around when it came out, I watched it about halfway through and shut it off. I tried to watch it again for this show, and I got only about like 20 minutes into it, and I was like, I can't fucking do this. It's boring. It's bland. It's dry. It's incredibly dark, like dark in the sense that like you can't see what's happening 60% of the time. No, and that is an unfortunate thing, and I thought maybe – when the Blu-ray came out, it would be better. And if, even if you mess with your TV settings and stuff, it's still like, there is just some impossibly dark shots, which is, it's just like kind of a head scratcher. Well, I mean, I remember when the first time I watched it, I, I used to only have like, like, uh, like a little 13 inch TV that had like the VCR built into it type of thing. And I, you know, had a DVD player hooked up to it. And I watched it on that. And I was like, I can't see what's going on. Maybe my TV's too small and just shitty. And now I've watched it this time on a big, you know, 55-inch, you know, fancy 4K, whatever Whoa, bullshit okay. TV. Everybody go rob Elliot's house. He's <laughs> he's living in the lap of luxury. <laughs> and still, but the, still the same thing. It's like, I'm like, I can't, There's it's pitch fucking black. If, if everyone who, like, complained about that one episode of Game of Thrones, if you're going to love this movie because it just takes that a hundred times to the max of just, like, at times you're just like, oh, it, they're literally the picture went out. And I'm only hearing audio mm-hmm. for no good reason. And no, I cannot. I cannot defend that. And the, who was it that the is the brothers? Yeah, the, some br- the Sklar brothers, something. <laughs> no, like no, that. those are the comedians. Uh, the brothers Strauss. Yes, uh, that's directed right. this movie. And if you watch interviews with them, they seem like uh, very enthusiastic, uh, kind of agreeable fellows. But they have not made any movies that are uh, likable like no. at, at all. I think they started out as uh, actually effects guys. They did. But they made fucking Skyline. I think that's, I that's, think that's it. it. Yeah. That's it. Alien vs. Predator, Requiem, and Skyline. They did make some music videos, though. Yeah. Those, they made yeah. music video. They made a, a, a Linkin Park crawling music Gross. video. Listen to this one. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. They've really done some some videos here, dude. They did a perfect circle. 
they've done some Usher music videos, Stained, God you're Smack. Not, you're, you're not selling me on these. Are guys. you familiar with God Smack? How about this one, Bell Biv DeVoe? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and this is this one's the top of the. I cannot believe. Can you imagine being responsible for this and being like, "Yeah, I did that." How you remind me by Nickelback. Oh God. No joke. My my mom, who has been on the show before, she was on the very special Halloween memories episode where we talk about uh the original Halloween and how I got into horror movies and all that kind of fun shit. And she unironically loves Nickelback. No. And has like a tour t shirt and like plays the music and oh yeah. Oh yeah, she's a she's a fan. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Your mom seems such like such a nice. I know I've never met her, but like, well, she seems I, I like will a nice say lady. like everyone jokes and is like, "Haha, Nickelback sucks so bad." There yeah. are far worse musicians uh, producing things that are are far more uh, upsetting and offensive and and terrible that is than Nickelback. That is that is true. But as However, far as there... popular music that is widely distributed. Uh, I get it. There, I guess to me, it's more like there are things that are worse than that that I understand the appeal of more, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I understand why someone might like this or what type of person might like this versus Nickelback, where it's just like, it's just bad and it doesn't seem to be catering to any, you know, niche. I just don't. It, it, I just don't get it. I don't know. I, yeah, I hate this movie. This, <laughs> I here's the thing. This is not a good movie. Like I said, the action uh, scenes between the aliens and the the predators, I think, are handled a lot better. Uh, you get sort of like there's a lot of weight uh, to the impacts, and I think there's a cool use of weapons and things like that. But yeah, they don't look like cartoons this time as much. Yeah, it's it's fairly fairly serious, straightforward. There's cool sequences like when the predator goes down in the sewer. And there's sort of a little bit of a hive being made um, with the homeless guys, and he's sort of walking through the water, and it's it's pretty tense, and it's hard to see, but it's I think it's pretty good. Um, there's also some v- scenes of graphic violence and alien action in this movie that you are never going to see in any other alien movie ever. Specifically, you probably know the two scenes I'm talking about. Specifically, at the beginning when uh, the father and son hunters get face hugged. That they, seems cool. They face hug a fucking child in this movie, and you think, oh well, he just got the 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 face hugger on the face, uh, and we're not going to see him again. But we'll probably see the alien crawling around. No, no, not not very. In, in just a short time later, the dad has a chestburster come out of him that splatters the his blood onto the child and not one second after the child has a CGI chest burster come out of his little baby child chest. Mm-hmm. You could argue that this is in poor taste. And I'm sure if, if Gene Siskel were alive today or, yeah. or was alive, then he would have absolutely taken this movie to the cleaners for it. Uh, I am not always upset by children in danger. I was just taken aback by the level of boldness uh, these guys took with doing a scene like that. I thought it was pretty wild. And then later on, 
in addition to a child getting face hugged and experiencing a chest burster, a pregnant woman gets uh, violently assaulted by the pred alien and has a impregnation tube shoved down her throat and her pregnant belly explodes and has a bunch of chest bursters just writhing around. Yeah. It is arguably one of the most stomach-churning scenes ever in an alien movie. And like I said, you're never going to see those two, those two scenes ever again uh, in anything else. I'm not saying that's a redeeming quality, but it does make this a, a, a sort of an artifact and unique. Well, I think that is where, like, you know, I said earlier, there's some fun to be had in a slasher movie that also happens to have just be the, you know, instead of it being Freddy Krueger, it's aliens and uh, predators. What what and did you say? Instead, it's like a slasher movie that instead of it being like Jason or, or uh, Freddy Krueger, it's aliens and predators. But did you say Freddy Krueger? Yeah. Krueger. <laughs> did I say Krueger? Freddy, good old Freddy Cougar. After the the microphone situation, I was sort of hoping that maybe you th- actually thought it was something else. <laughs> uh, I think when I was a kid, I thought it was Freddy Cougar. Um, but you know, there's there's fun to be had there, and th- those two scenes I think are kind of glimpses into the potential of making this like an over the top you know goofy mashup but that's kind of where it ends yeah i don't know yeah that's there's no like, fun to be had with the human characters like you've got this one uh, dingus delivering pizzas and getting the shit beat out of him for no reason uh and he's just obviously got a horrible life and his older brother comes back from jail uh and is having trouble getting started and you got the mopey town sheriff who just seems like he's like lost his lust for life and uh the the female soldier coming home and her daughter is like, oh, I don't feel like you're my mom anymore because you've been gone for so long. And the dad, I love that scene when the dad is, I mean, it's a, a scene that's been in lots of movies, but the girl's like, there's a monster in my window. And the dad's like, what are you talking about? There's no monster here. And the alien bursts through the window and just yanks him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe like bites his head off before something like that. But it's disgusting and upsetting and the girl screams her face off and does the little girl die at any point i said i never finished the movie oh there's a there's also a tremendous scene in the graveyard where the uh the there's a like an armed drunk guy smoking a cigarette and she's like put that out and he's like you can't tell me what to do and she was doing it because she was saying that because she didn't want to get spotted by any of the creatures right and then immediately, like a, I think a, a predator like blows his head off with the that, pla- plasma cannon. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, there's stuff like that. There's a, a great scene when they everyone's. I will say this: everyone holes up inside of a gun store. Which I don't. I don't know that there's too many movies where there's like a siege taking place, where the characters are like, "We're going to the gun store." <laughs> oh, sorry. Wow, that was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave that in so you can listen to it back again. Don't do it. Like, oh my Don't god. Don't do it. it- <laughs> this whole this whole podcast is just for you to torment me and my ineptness with electronics. I didn't do anything. I literally. I sent you the box with the instructions and the giant picture but on the front. I didn't that shows re- how, how to orient it. But I didn't read the instructions or look at the picture. I know. Just uh, keep an eye on your levels there. Yeah, get, yeah, get, yeah. Because you you have clean feet open, right? 
I do. Yeah, so you can see when you get into the yellow, like that's where well, you gotta. I mean, my thing, my my thing keeps going into sleepy time mode. Oh, you gotta set that. Uh, if you go into the settings. Yeah, I know. All right, welcome to Tech Talk with Elliot and Keith. Today we're figuring it out how to uh, uh, get the uh, uh, sleep function off on your uh, MacBook uh, computer. Anyway. <laughs> This movie sucks. Alien vs. Predator Requiem is uh, a spectacle uh, and something that uh, you j- you j- just doesn't come along uh, every five years. So thankfully, uh, thankfully, it doesn't come along every. Five it's worth years. watching. It also has. I love that it has the goddamn Return of the Living Dead ending, where the solution to this problem is to blow up the entire town. I yeah I didn't, never saw that. It's part. tremendous. It's exactly like Alien versus Pre- or uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead. Here's the one thing I'll say. Left I have to say on this. This isn't even directly involved in the movie, but I was when I was watching, I was like, "Who is this guy playing the main pizza delivery boy? What else has he been in?" Turns out nothing I've ever seen. However, I did learn that he has since passed away, and the way he died was he choked his landlord to death choked his landlord's cat to death, and then while fleeing this crime scene, decided to climb up on the roof and then fell off the roof and cracked his head open. Oh, man. Wait, yeah. so the you said the pizza kid? Yes. That's too bad, man. Yeah. Because he really, like, he was in this one movie and... Uh... Well, I guess he was in, like, lots of Sons of Anarchy, but I never watched that show. Oh, so okay, I, yeah. Yeah. Or at least some Sons of Anarchy. I don't know. I don't know if he was one of the main characters or not. But I guess that was his bigger claim to fame than this movie. But, yep. That's the note I'll end uh, Requiem on. Uh, Well, so it sounds like we're a little split on this one. Um, Like I said, though, I don't think this is, like, a great movie. But I think there's a lot of uh, sort of mystifying imagery and, and, you know, worthwhile scenes and it uh it's well, not it's kinda, not a movie that you're ever going to see again that's for sure I, it, it's just kind of a reverse of almost of like how we feel about the other one where i feel the first alien versus predator is not very good but has enough fun things going on to make it a good afternoon b movie i mean you, you couldn't really talk you didn't really point out any of the specifically like anything that you enjoyed sure i did I said I like the stupid character introductions. I like the setup. Um, I like the pyramid. <laughs> I like pyramids, man. They're there's cool. like a there's like a whole hour and a half of movie outside of those things. Well, there's a whole fucking hour and a half movie outside of the three things you mentioned. No, wait, there's not. There's not a whole hour and a half movie of outside of the three things you mentioned in Requiem. There's an hour and a half of just a black screen with garbage noise coming out of it. <laughs> That's not true. There's plenty of daylight scenes. How dare you? There's like two. How, anyway. How dare you? How how dare you soil the good goddamn name of the Brothers Strauss? As we're coming to find that the periphery of the Alien franchise doesn't have a lot to offer. But there have been countless rip-offs, haven't there, Keith? Yeah. It, apparently, in 1979, Alien came out and a bunch of people went to saw that. Went to saw. A bunch of people <laughs> went to see that movie, and they said, "Hmm, me too." 
Yeah. I'm going to make that movie also. I'm going to call it something different. I'm going to put different people in it, but I'm going to make the same goddamn movie. So, yeah, there's, like we mentioned earlier, there's Galaxy of Terror, uh, Forbidden World, Inseminoid. Um and those are those are the really low budget ones, but also I just think in general you you see the fingerprints on sci-fi movies after this pretty heavily, you know. Well, and that's where we want to draw the line here, is because we're going to talk about some movies that are straight up ripoffs, like beat for beat, mm-hmm. versus you know, there's plenty of movies who have taken inspiration from Alien or borrowed some things like Species. Or even movies that just borrow the visual look, you know, like uh, Outland with Sean Connery. There's no alien. It's a space movie. There's no aliens on it, in it, but it looks a lot like the first two Alien movies. Blue collar people in space doing blue yeah. collar things. and Or just like spaceships sure. now looking grungy and, you know, dirty instead of clean and pristine and all yeah. that crap, you know. Mm-hmm. Pyramids and pyramids. On different planets, you know, that's really popular now. Well, didn't that start from a total, well, no, no maybe not. Dune, no, I don't know. Man, there's so many well, movies I mean, I, that exist. I think pyramids on planets existed in sci-fi in general. Like, you, you go back and look at any 70s uh, paperback sci-fi cover, and you're going to see a pyramid. But those were usually like kind of like, oh, there's a civilization here and it's a bright new beautiful pyramid on this desert planet and this in aliens it's more like the lost pyramid of a lost civilization covered in slime that type of stuff you know oh yeah i love slime so well i watched galaxy of terror which actually has is not just a ripoff of alien in many ways but also has some connective tissue in the sense that uh james cameron was the assistant director on it before going on to do uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning, Piranha which would two. go on to change the history of cinema forever. That's true. It was before that, and then before Terminator, and then ultimately Aliens, you know? Actually, let's take a second, and uh, we're actually going to listen to the trailer for Galaxy of Terror cool. right now. Prepare yourself for the ultimate battle. Galaxy of Terror. Stranded astronauts Edward Albert and Erin Moran trapped in a living maze of terror on a world spawned by their darkest nightmares. It's been waiting a billion years to scare you to death. Galaxy of Terror. Okay, so that was the trailer for Galaxy of Terror. What a trailer it was. Despite this being an alien ripoff, holy shit, is there a lot of like Flash Gordon and Star Wars and just like laser beams and teleportation and like wild 70s sci fi stuff in there? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Did you, you didn't watch this one, right? No, I've not seen the movie in its entirety. So this movie. I mean, yes, there is some alien monsters that are some of, some of which are insectoid like, and some of which are not. And the production design is very heavily alien inspired. The plot of this movie, though, is not really connected to Alien like whatsoever, other than the fact that they're going like the initial setup of like we're going to this planet to investigate some sort of distress call or something, and then after that. When you find out what's actually going on, it is about as far removed from an alien uh, movie as you could imagine. 
So then what made you pick this uh, out of all the straight-up alien ripoffs? Like, what was the significance of this one for you? Oh, I just watched the trailer, and it looked cool. <laughs> I was like, it was between this and Ver- uh, Forbidden uh, World, and I was like, I think I think maybe this one was free to watch on streaming, and I had to rent Forbidden World or something. And you were like, oh, I, uh, I'm pretty sure Forbidden World and Galaxy of Terror are both on Tubi for free. They are now, maybe. I don't know. At the time, I one, one of them was definitely... Because I watched this actually probably almost... I watched this like two months ago, actually. When hmm. we first when we first started talking about like, okay, we're finally gonna do the Egg Chronicles. I watched this right away, and so I'm going off of memory here. I see. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I feel like it has some other some other things going for it. I mean, like the crazy cast, which is sort of like a who's who of like genre genre people. Yeah, Eddie Sid Albert, and. Okay. Uh, Ray Walton. Um, there's some other f- folks in there. One or two. Someone from Happy Days is on it. Oh, yeah, the girl, right? Yeah. Whatever her name is. Uh, that's kind of a fun movie. I liked it. Uh, it looks, it looks for, by and large, it looks fucking great for such a low-budget movie. Uh, there's a couple, there's one monster effect that's really bad. But most of them are pretty cool, at least cool, like well designed. Yeah, uh, F- effects by the Scotech brothers, mm-hmm. which uh, you may have seen them on, you know, special features uh, for other movies, including Aliens. They did. They worked on that one too. Late yes. after this, yes, yeah. they're they're fairly uh, prolific in their uh, creature effects and and modeling and miniatures design, and uh, but their sort of signature look. Uh, of wearing really weird looking toupees uh, yeah. helps them stand out. Like they look like the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 characters for sure. So I mean, what else do you like about uh, Galaxy of Terror? So, like I said, it's it's this is not a masterpiece by any means, but it looks it's it looks cool. It's fun. Uh, James Cameron was assistant director on it and did a lot of the production of sign and helped out with a lot of the effects. And you can tell he really put a lot of effort and, you know, uh, uh, creative ways to make something look, look more exciting than it actually was. Uh, like well, there's, there's one set that's made entirely of dumpster dived, uh, uh, Big Mac boxes that they, oh, yeah, they just glued them to the wall and you would not, it, it looks fucking awesome. Like you would not tell that, tell that that's what it is. Uh, the, the actual plot of what's going on is like, so they all show up at this, this planet to just investigate something like some distress call or people who went missing. And then they start getting attacked by various different monsters and then the big reveal at the end is that it's actually uh, the pyramid. They go because they go to a pyramid, too. So they're in another pyramid, just like uh, AVP. And the big reveal is that the pyramid is actually like a testing ground. And the pyramid taps into whatever your deepest fears are. And that's what attacks you. And whoever can well, overcome... Okay, Event Horizon. Yeah, well, there you go. This is all before this, you know, and all comes full circle. Uh, whatever, whatever, you, whoever can uh, overcome their fear, master their fear, becomes like the new leader of the galaxy. They become the fear master. Yes, pretty much the scarecrow. They, 
They call no, it's some other name. Like it's called like the leader or something. Like that's something you at the beginning of the movie. It's kind of hokey, but there's like this like intergalactic leader, um, who his face is just like a glowing orb, and then you find out later that it's Ray Walton and he was on the mission too, and he's like he accidentally discovered this, uh, pyramid hundreds of years ago and became the leader, and now he just doesn't want to be the leader anymore, so he faked this whole distress call and brought people there to run the test. So okay, okay, the Santa Claus. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's all, this is actually the most influential movie of the later half of the 20, later quarter of the 20th century. Yeah, I'm you changing know? My, my mantra from All Roads Lead to Alien 3 to All Roads Lead to Galaxy of Terror. Yeah. Because this you is know? jumping, like, this is so prolific, it's jumping genres and it's got its fingers in, in every type of movie. Yeah, but it's it's uh it's got some cool effect scenes. There's a giant maggot that grows incredibly large, and this is actually kind of like weird and gross and creepy in general. But one of the financial backers of the movie demanded that there be a rape scene in the movie, and nobody wanted not, to not do that. Not human on human, like insect on human. No, they just demanded a, a rape scene, and and nobody in the movie wanted to do it. So the director said, "Like, well, let's cook. Well, let's turn it into a maggot. Say it has to be a maggot, a giant maggot, and then then he'll like not want to do it if we if we say that." And then the direct the 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 money guy was like, "Oh, that's cool. That's fine. Just as long as just as long as you know, there's a creepy rape scene." And then no one wanted to do it except for the actress. She was like, "This sounds kind of fun." She said, "Like, I'll do it." And then Roger Corman, who was the producer, he had to come in and direct the scene because everybody else was like, "We're not fucking doing this." Yeah. Um, and they did pay the actress uh, extra. Yeah, and that being said, like uh, me and Francis watched it together, and she goes, "That is the least exploitive uh, giant bug rape scene I've ever seen." So, you know, it was handled as I guess as tastefully as, tasteful as possible <laughs> as possible. Well, you good, know, and like, good for them. And uh, and then and uh, yeah, and uh, I guess like yeah, it was it didn't seem completely. A gratuitous or out of the realm of the plot. It, it was inserted in a way that made some form of narrative sense. So it's got that going for it, I guess. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but hey, it's a low budget movie from the eighties. What do you What do you expect? Yeah, everybody was doing a lot of drugs back then. Yeah. So all, every idea seemed like a good idea when you'd been up all night doing cocaine. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would recommend it. It's it's fun enough. Uh, there's also uh, a YouTube channel called Good Bad Flicks that does a really interesting docu- making making of documentary where I got most of the information I'm telling you right now. So yeah, that that channel does a really good uh, job of like uh, just spewing out trivia and anecdotes and yeah, in a, a highly palatable way. So can't, yeah, and I can't recommend that enough. I would watch it, the, the, the little making of thing. It's like 15, 20 minutes. To, to, definitely worth your time. Yeah, you're not going to find us on YouTube uh, chopping up movie clips and doing voiceovers over them, unfortunately. So I don't have time for that shit, but there are some people who do have time for that shit, and uh, that's one of them. But yeah, I would say that's that's what I, that's pretty much I got more, just a, like a light recommendation on Galaxy of Terror. That's what I got to say on it. Galaxy of Terror. All right. How about you? You watched one too, right? I'm going to watch Galaxy of Terror at some point. Yeah, I mean, I went through quite a few uh, creature and inseminoid and uh, the terror within and a lot of these. Uh, I kind of dug around through them just to find one that was 
the closest to Alien mm-hmm. and the, the closest to, to being a shameless ripoff. And the one that I found was uh, Forbidden World. Roger Commons, Mutant, Das Grauen im All. Also known as Mutant internationally. Um, and this movie would not exist without Galaxy of Terror because it was also produced by Roger Corman. And uh, he had a bunch of leftover sets uh, and was like, uh, he said to this uh, uh, director, you have four days to write, produce, and direct a seven to eight minute opening of a space movie. I'll give you an astronaut and a robot from Galaxy of Terror. And if you need any inspiration, I've always wanted to do a version of Lawrence Arabia in outer space. And on that prompt uh, came this movie. Huh. That's a... Which would go on to win a 1983 Saturn Award for Best Low Budget Film, Best Makeup, and Best Special Effects. Well... But it was also panned uh, for its uh, uh, absurd amount of sex, nudity... Uh, shitty editing and uh, unpleasant sounds. So you said though this was like that he wanted to do a Lawrence of Arabian space, but this is also the one that is most directly just a straight up ripoff in terms of plot of Alien. So I guess the director just threw that prompt out the window and was just like, I'm, "I'll just rip off Alien." That's yeah, easier. yeah. They literally there is no Lawrence of Arabia type setup here. It's literally like a a sort of charismatic, you know, guy with some good hair. Uh, heads to a far-off research facility to investigate uh, some kind of a problem and finds that, you know, the specimen that's being studied has gone run amok, and there's, like, cocoons and shit all over the walls. There's, like, melty, slimy things on lab tables, and then eventually the creature grows into a... uh, Sort of what looks like a giant black version of the chest burster, with like a big. It looks like a big cartoon caricature of that creature with like a shitty grin on its face. So you do realize that a giant black version of the chest burster is just a, a full grown xenomorph, right? No, but it's 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 it doesn't evolve in any way. Yeah, yeah it I'm still just... has stubby arms and just like a cartoonishly giant head. Okay. There's no sort of elegance or like movement or like uh, uh, design to it. It's just take that little guy and blow him up, and they fucking did. Um, I just realized something. This and this is stepping back a few seconds back, but you meant uh, you mentioned Lawrence of Arabia, and its connection to this movie, and this connection to this movie to the Alien franchise. Keith, um, what movie is David watching at the beginning of Prometheus? Uh, I believe he is watching Weird Science, which is a hilarious visual gag that uh, they wanted to put in the movie because, you know, he's doing, he would eventually go on to do Weird Science, right? And then he was singing the song while he was uh, making new alien eggs and stuff. Remember that? Well, I wish that was... Weird Science. Well, I wish that was true, or at least a deleted scene. That would be great. But in reality... The movie he is watching at the beginning of Prometheus <laughs> is Lawrence 
of Arabia. Yeah, that's correct. And he does the whole hair bit. He's like, I want to look just like that guy. That's actually what made me remember when you just said, like, instead we get a guy with good hair at the beginning. I was like, wait a minute. David has good hair. Wait a minute. He was, he was copying Peter O'Toole's good hair in Lawrence of Arabia. That's true. That's exactly what happened. Uh, so, really, like, really, Scott, he's he's taking the plot of Alien versus Predator. Uh, he's taking the visual inspiration of the main character of uh, Mutant or Forbidden World and making that David. God, really, like, I think the truth is coming out here. It's pretty crazy how all these movies are connected. But also, you got to remember that a lot of these folks were growing up. Oh, I know, yeah. When these course. movies were out. And so, e- even if... Uh, even if these elements are prominent in these other movies, it's not like it's not necessarily the situation right. where they were like, "Oh, I'm going to steal that." You know, maybe right. it's, it's just kind of... ingrained in them or whatever. Uh, but... Yeah, it's like, oh, a director in his 80s or 70s makes a reference to Lawrence of Arabia. Shocking, you know? Yeah, exactly. A, f- a filmmaker's filmmaker is going to do stuff like that, right? You know, totally. So, did you like this movie? Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, if nothing else, like it's one of those movies that if you just turn off the sound and look yeah. at it, uh, it has a lot of really like striking imagery. The lighting is really good. It's borrowing a lot of the sets and set design from Galaxy of Terror, which is low budget, but also pretty good. And then the creature, which is the most important thing to me, because uh, I like, you know, gross monster movies. There's some really ingenious like creature setups, like ultimately the the creature goes through like four different phases, uh, which James Cameron would kind of go on to perfect with mm-hmm. aliens. But it goes from, you know, this cocoon, and I love cocoons where they're sort of strung up in the corner of a ceiling and they've got kind yeah. of these extending pieces and things. like. I love stuff like that. And characters are wondering what the fuck is going to come out of that and, that whole notion is great. And there's like melting bodies um, on tables that are just like glistening colored and covered in slime and in different colors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're a pervo, I mean, there's just some great, there's tons of nudity and like really porn borderline pornographic sex scenes. Um, they really were like, what can we get away with? Like we're going to make the dirtiest movie possible. And so, mm-hmm. um, if you're into that kind of thing, it's got that as well. And um, if you're a pervo, yeah, if you're a pervo, and then the, the 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 ending is great because they feed the creature cancer. Oh, that's cool. Here's a big ball of cancer. You eat it and then die, and then that's how they kill the monster, and that's it. Um, the trial it, set, the, the trailer, uh, is both the German one where it's like, like we talked about earlier, the mutant, mutant one, and this, the American trailer, both of those make the movie look awesome. Yeah. It definitely has a lot less in common with Star Wars and way more in common with Alien. Mm-hmm. Despite some of the fact that some of the scenes take place outdoors and during the daylight and whatever, but for the most part, it's in, it's set in these super tight, dark corridors and, and lab rooms and things like that. And yeah, it is, I mean, it's straight up an alien ripoff, uh, but it's as far as those go, um, not too bad at all. 
Well, I think we're also both coming to the conclusion that at least with these two examples, uh, some of these alien, like really low budget alien ripoffs are definitely better than the alien spinoffs in terms of uh, originality, production design, like just general effort that went into them. There is some kind of charm to, um, you know, there's a big difference between movies where you can tell they were just inspired by something and wanted to run with the idea further and a movie that's just a straight ripoff. But even with that being the case, there's still some kind of a charm to these movies. They were like, we want to do that too. Yeah. Well, I think you that's kind of the thing. I mean, I, one of the things Roger Corman as a producer is most famous for was basically like, obviously he was making low budget movies and it was all business. But at the same time, you know, he would take young directors uh, and say like, Look, it has to have these four things. It has to have, a, you know, uh, the you know these things I can put on a poster and sell it. You know, it has to have an exploding head. It has to have an alligator or whatever. You know, it has to have those four things. But other than that, do whatever you want. And I think that's what it is. It's it's all this young talent from top to bottom just getting cut loose. And he's like, yeah, we're ripping off this other thing, but like as an uh, an artistic exercise. Like you can feel that that creative energy and that these, you know, these people are just cutting loose with their skills and learning on the job and doing some really clever, inventive, fun things. And, and I think look, that's really cool. And if you look at the the amount of like filmmakers who got their start working under for him for under him, like Francis Ford Coppola, John Sales, um, James Cameron, uh, there's just like a laundry list of people who went on to do like huge, big budget action movies, like highly praised independent movies, uh, just like a Joe Dante, you know, like super fun horror movies. Uh, the amount of the amount of uh, very talented people who came out of his studio or, uh, or production company really speaks, I think, to the, the environment that he allowed to flourish, you know. Yeah, and possibly the amount of cocaine that was being provided to everyone. I mean, uh, certainly didn't on, hurt on yeah. these projects, but I mean that's speculation on my part. Who knows? Maybe they were all just drinking orange juice. I mean, uh, uh, Roger Corman himself seems to be a pretty like straight and narrow guy. Yeah, but man, it was the eighties. That's true. Well, actually, with him, it was like started. Yeah, he, he was in his eighties. Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's it's so funny. Like it's easy to turn your nose up at movies that are you know seem to have no creativity of their own or are unoriginal or you know quote unquote steal from all these things. But for some reason, these movies just uh, it's hard for me to to just dismiss these as just like it's a cheap knockoff. Well, you know, I think I think there's kind of like. <sighs> We always talk about movies and go like, oh, movies from the 80s are so much better. The 70s are so much better. There was all these great B-movies or great science fi low-budget movies. And the reality is, honestly, like, you're forgetting most of the bad ones. And, you know, 20, 30 years from now, people are going to be like, oh, movies from the 2000s were so great. Here's all these examples, but then forgot all the bad ones. That being said, I do think there was a kind of this little magic window in, like, the mid-late, uh, even probably actually late 60s to late 80s where – these low budget movies and these B movies had just the right enough budget being allotted to them. 
and were still being shot on film and not and really hadn't switched entirely over to like VHS, you know, or video camera and then digital later, where they had like a tactile look and a, ch- and a charm to them, and there was enough people like trying to make something fun out of it, where we did end up with a lot of like really charming, interesting, unique B movies. In that period, lots of really terrible ones too, obviously. But sure. there's some there's some gems that I think were probably are unique to that time period that we wouldn't get today, just because of the way movies are made now. You know, it's also probably a testament to the the, uh, the quality of the source material, right? Mm-hmm. If if you can do a knockoff of this thing uh, that's also still pretty good, then. Uh, you might have a, a winner as far as, you know, your original, you know, idea and movie and, and concept. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, you know, that might play a part in it too, where at that point in time, cinema is still relatively a newer thing, you know, uh, a, a cinema as we know it anyways, and is a newer thing in the seventies, you know, it's like 40 years old, you know, not, not well, maybe, you know, maybe older than that, but like, talking mo- sound mu- movies are about 40 years old and well movies that aren't just westerns right, uh, are, right are, yeah. are, are fairly new you so know? there's a lot there was a lot more space for like well this hasn't been done on film before this hasn't been done on film before and obviously people do innovative and new things now but you the you get you get to a point where there's less and less things that haven't been done on film you know prior and you have to become even more creative to come up with new ideas. So it becomes harder, you know, to come up with something that people haven't visually seen yet, you know, in on, on film anyway. Yeah. If I had been a teenager during that time, as soon as a horror movie set in space had come out, I would have gobbled up every single one that I could get my hands on, regardless of uh, content or quality. I yeah. would have watched them all. Oh, yeah, for just, sure. Just because it's like a fresh new idea. And even in the modern sense, it's not an idea that happens very often. You know? What do you mean? Well, it's it's horror movies set in space are, oh, are, I got you. are yes, more, yes. more common now. But even uh, in the, you know, the 2000 and 2010s, um, it's still not an idea that is explored very often. At the lower budget level, uh, sure, there's... There's quite a few, but you can kind of, it's pretty easy to, to, you know, pick out the ones that aren't going to be good. Yeah. for Yeah, it's true. Like I was actually kind of thinking about like, uh, what are some significant, you know, uh, space horror movies in, in terms of like, oh, this was from a major studio or had wide distribution and people had the opportunity to see it without like digging through the depths of the back of a video store and they're really yeah you're right there's very few well and that's a great segue because before we bring this episode to a close i really quickly wanted to touch on uh a movie that probably owes more to prometheus than it does to uh alien but uh it's a great sci-fi horror movie set in space nonetheless uh and that movie is called life oh that was yeah that was kind of fun i enjoyed it yeah so life came out in 2017 uh starring jake gyllenhaal and uh ryan reynolds and it's a a, like a six-person crew from an international space station and 
they find life on Mars. And if, if you haven't seen it, this isn't much of a spoiler because it's in the trailer, but the organism that they find, uh, you know, they're sort of trying to figure out what it is and, and what it can do. And it starts evolving at a extremely fast rate and uh, um, almost to a dangerous degree. And things kind of spiral out of control from there. Um, but it accomplishes a lot of the same things that Prometheus does, showing the stages of evolution and kind of the dangers of exploration and um, understanding our place on the, the food chain uh, at a much larger scale. Um, and I think it does some cool things as far as having a scary monster and a monster that brings something a little bit new to the table and feels fresh. And then by also having a a very schlocky sort of uh, monster movie ending. It does have a very schlocky ending that is a lot of fun. And frequently I think those kind that I don't want to spoil it, spoil it, but like the, the little like kind of like last second twist, I think it's kind of uh, stupid in a lot of movies, but it works here. You're right. It kind of like, it mixes like uh, the serious, like sciencey aspects with schlock and at times, I think the mix is a little uneven. I like the way that it attempts to do that. Uh, there are some really cool parts in it, though. I like the the concept of the alien in and of itself, and then how they're like how it's constantly it's constantly evolving, but not in the ways that it normally happens in movies. It seems much more grounded in some form of reality. And that one scene. Where they're like, where is it? Then they they haven't seen it for the alien for a long time, and it's just feeding off that guy's legs the whole time up his spacesuit, and he doesn't know it. And he was yeah. like, wait, what's going on? And lifts up his pants. He's like, oh shit, it's been here. This whole- that part is so fucking good. But it's, I mean, it's the same as like uh, finding a tick or a leech on yeah, your body and not you, realizing it. Yeah, it, it's that's what's great about the alien is like the way, even though it's like this completely like otherworldly thing that does all this weird, like, oh, space stuff. Like, uh, it also does things that you can completely, like, oh, yeah, I know that feeling of just finding something hidden on yourself or, like, there's a bug in your hair type of thing. Like, it taps into some very primal things that we can all, uh, like, relate to. Uh, yeah, didn't, like I said, not not a masterpiece by any means, but, like, definitely deserved uh more recognition than it got yeah i wouldn't call it like an all-time great sort of classic but a very good film for sure especially in that uh arena of you know creatures in space i mean particularly like when you put it on the way at least the way i did which was like kind of like oh scrolling through netflix or something like oh sure i'll watch this you know like not going in with any real form of expectation Mm -hmm. or anything and, and being quite pleasantly surprised well, unfortunately, if if you've listened to this, we've set your expectations, so uh, prepare That's to be true. disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man, everyone loves Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, and like I said, this sort of this movie owes more to uh, Prometheus than it does to Alien, but um, I think as a a natural next step or a next stage, uh, without being going into um, arrival territory mm-hmm. um i think this is a pretty dang good movie um, I, i'd say it's it's a it's definitely a better movie than prometheus oh yeah definitely prometheus may be a more like 
interesting in the sense of just like what am i watching type of thing like how the you know like how did this whole thing come together but so you might you might be i might be more inclined to rewatch prometheus before rewatching life just because i was like i want to scrutinize it and scratch my head but life is definitely a better movie i wish the title was different yeah it's really bland i know i know what they were going for and mm-hmm. and it does work like the whole the life on Mars phrase is something that gets thrown about so much and life on Mars um is too much of a phrase to be a a good title so i get i get what they were going for 100% but yeah it, it's just too in this sense i think it's it's too vague you know what would be a better title if they wanted a one word title that was also kind of vague but science fictiony sounding but was already the name of a different movie that was completely unrelated. Xenogenesis? Yes. No, I was going to say Inception. <laughs> oh. That would be a that would for, for the what they're trying to do with the title and for like what happens in the movie, Inception would be a great title. Oh. Except it was already that Christopher Nolan movie about dream warriors. Maybe it is dream warriors. Uh, maybe we should, that should be an episode where we take movies with titles that didn't quite work and give them a new title. I like that. I've also, I've been pushing this for a while, Keith, and I'm going to put it out here on the air for the listeners. A friend of mine suggested that we do a movie called Overrated Movies and they're underrated movies to replace them. So if you think, uh, if you think, uh, Die Hard's overrated, What's the underrated movie? That yeah, here's it? here's that same movie, but the one that people don't really watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun, too. That could even be like a joint episode. Combine the titles with the, with the replacement movies. That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. Lots of good ideas here. Unfortunately, those are going to have to wait because you know what's happening right after this. Now that the Egg Chronicles are finished... We're going to kick off our sci-fi summer. Oh, shit. Is that what we're doing? That is what we're doing. Oh, right. We did talk about that. Yeah. And you know what? I forgot all about that. The first stop on this little train ride is? Junior. That's correct. Is it really? Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger is having a baby. And Danny DeVito's delivering it or impregnated him or I don't know what's going on. I've never seen it. but You've uh, never seen it? I have never seen it. Oh, my God. You're, You're in for a treat. Uh, this will, will this be our, well, obviously yes, it's loosely sci-fi, but will this be our first comedy? I don't think we've done a comedy on the show. I and mean, we've done movies that are funny, uh, sometimes unintentionally so, but like not a straight up, just like this movie's going for laughs. Uh, I think Trash Heap Goes to Summer Camp, uh, had some, some comedy bangers on it, but yeah, we, we haven't done like a, a, we didn't talk about a single movie on that. I, I don't recall if I'm being honest. Oh, I guess, uh, no, we did, um, uh, Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a comedy, and a very funny yeah. one, also and arguably our greatest episode of the entire so, show. It's also had Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, so we basically are only going to do com- comedies if they have Arnold in them. Yes. Precisely. But yeah, we're kicking off the sci-fi summer, we're easing into it with something that combines science fiction along with science fact. Uh, I think that'll be a good, a good way to uh, start things off, and uh, we're just gonna go go wild from there. Great, this is gonna be great. We're gonna, you're gonna like it. I can't wait. Okay, well, yeah, that concludes the Eight Chronicles. Wow, what a trip that's been, huh? 
pointless, overlong, but fun and disgusting, done. upsetting, disgusting. infuriating, um, but Sli- slimy, gooey, whatever. Lar- largely enjoyable. It's uh, yeah. it's been a fun one, and I hope that you go back and uh, check out all the episodes, and and hopefully it it makes you want to revisit these movies and see how they look all these years later. And, I'm um, definitely going to watch that video you were talking about, about is Prometheus just a remake of Alien vs. Predator? Oh, man. I, I was glad I watched that uh, after I was done. I laughed at it and and dismissed it, but it definitely changed the way I look at uh, movies and life. And life, eh? Yeah. Well, the, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bold statement. The, the serial, not the movie. Oh, well, that makes more sense, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I guess that's it. Um, it's great talking to you. As we're going to head out, you know, and uh, Keith, what do we always say? Well, I can't wait to spend my sci-fi summer with all of you guys. And until next time, the hive is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off.